Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. The signals are telling me that the liquidity outlook is worsening. Welcome to this edition of Steno Signals. Uh, we have a tremendous feed for you today with um, new action in the banking sector in the US. Uh, we will go through the details of the First Republic deal and we will look into whether other banks will suffer again this week and uh, into next week as well. Um, the underlying momentum liquidity is worsening now uh, and every month we update our so-called macro regime indicator at state of signals and this month we look into a totally different environment compared to what we were faced with in april and march um, so if we look at this regime model we uh, basically divide the world into three main uh, variables of relevance to the macro outlook. First of all, the liquidity outlook, secondly, the growth outlook, and thirdly, the inflation outlook. And currently, we are faced with a scenario where we should expect liquidity to go down, inflation to go down, and growth to go down over the course of the next 30 days, according to our forward-looking models. In this edition of Steno Signals, we'll spend the most time on assessing the liquidity outlook since it's the variable that has changed direction since April and March. Uh, now we expect liquidity to dwindle over the next 30 to 60 days compared to a scenario in, in March and April where we had an increasing liquidity picture. Uh, and it obviously comes with repercussions for your portfolio when liquidity dwindles relative to a scenario where liquidity uh, increases in the financial system. So let's have a look at some of the details. And I want to start with uh, the takeaways from the deal uh, that was struck between JP Morgan and the financial authorities uh, in relation to First Republic Bank over the weekend. Um, one of the interesting things here is that uh, First Republic Bank used the so-called emergency lending measures from the Federal Reserve to a very large extent over the course of February, March, and uh, April. Uh, by the end of the first quarter, the First Republic Bank had a, um, an outstanding of roughly 80 billion in emergency lending vis-a-vis um, -vis the Federal Reserve. Uh, and obviously a um, solution was needed to, um, to this emergency lending when JB Morgan uh, decided to purchase uh, the remainings of First Republic Bank. And the interesting thing here is that JP Morgan uh, will pay roughly 60 billion out of this now 90 billion bill uh, to the Federal Reserve over the course of the next five years. They pay 10 billion up front and they pay 50 billion uh, over five years. Uh, they receive a loan from the FDIC of 50 billion. Um, and uh, the remainings will have to be covered by the FDIC either via um, cash assets uh, still available in First Republic Bank or via uh, the depositor base in the FDIC. So 
uh, essentially the wall chest of liquidity that is uh, within the FDIC. So the FDIC will take a loss of at least 13 billion on this deal. Um, and uh, they may even take a larger loss than that. That is unknown at the, uh, the current juncture. But in any case, this is another big loss for the FDIC. Uh, and it comes on top of uh, another couple of bank failures just over the past month or so. Uh, right now, as we speak, uh, we see um, carnage in the regional banking sector in markets again today. PacWest, another Californian bank, is um, deeply underwater in equity space. Uh, and it is currently um, the market's focus on whether this bank will be the next to suffer um, in this string of events. And um, underlying now that we have weakening liquidity trends, I find it hard to see the argument uh, for abating risks in this regional banking sphere. Um, to me, it looks like it will accelerate given the underlying momentum in liquidity. But um, to take one step back, um, I'd like to uh, look a bit at the balance sheet of First Republic Bank and why it is so important, this deal that JP Morgan uh, struck with the FDIC to purchase the remainings of the First Republic Bank. If we look at a typical bank, um, the depositor base is the biggest funding source. Um, and when depositors leave the banking uh, system or the bank First Republic, uh, in this case, to a very large extent over a short time span, um, First Republic simply needs to replace this, uh, these deposits with another funding source. And they took up large emergency loans at the Federal Reserve to cover uh, for the depositor base. Uh, and that is why the um, FDIC ultimately uh, has to take a, a, a loss now, um, given that this emergency lending cannot be fully covered in the deal with JP Morgan. If we look at the um, details of, uh, of this deal with JP Morgan, um, I think the so-called loss share solution between the FDIC and JP Morgan is uh, interesting. Um, JP Morgan basically negotiated a 80 to 20 split on potential losses on the loan book that they bought from First Republic Bank, meaning that in case of a default, the FDIC will take the first 80% of the loss and then um, the JP Morgan will take remaining 20%. Um, so it is a very safe deal, I'd say, for, for JB Morgan. But this is not a sign to take comfort in. Um, if JB Morgan is not willing to buy the remainings of First Republic Bank without getting an 80 to 20 uh, split in this lost share agreement, it is probably a signal that they are afraid of losses in the loan book. Um, we know that First Republic Bank has a relatively large exposure towards commercial real estate, but also um, single family housing in California and elsewhere uh, in the Western uh, parts of, of the US. Uh, and the collateral underlying these loans um, is, is underwater given the recent developments that we've seen price-wise in both commercial real estate, but also now to a certain extent in, um, in residential uh, real estate. And the question is whether this is a signal to shareholders in other regional banks uh, to run away. Uh, and frankly, um, that is kind of the mood we get from markets right now that um, this lost share deal that JB Morgan managed to negotiate is not a, um, 
something to take comfort in since it is a signal that they are scared of the quality of the loan book. And it is a signal that they are scared of the underlying price development in the collateral in real estate underlying these loans. And if we look at the market reaction post this JP Morgan deal, uh, it is very, very clear that the market finds JP Morgan to be the winner and regional banks to be the losers, um, potentially also the FDIC to be the loser here. JP Morgan has rallied on the back of this deal, um, broadly speaking, while um, we still see this increasing gap between the price development in JP Morgan's uh, equity um, base relative to what we see in the regional banking space. Uh, and I think this overarching theme in um, US uh, financials will continue. We should expect large caps to outperform small cap banks as a consequence of this banking turmoil and as a consequence of um, the withdrawal of liquidity that we will now be faced with over the coming months. So why is this deal relevant to the liquidity outlook? Well. Since First Republic Bank um, had major um, lines with the Federal Reserve uh, via these emergency lending measures, um, the Federal Reserve balance sheet also increased uh, during March when First Republic Bank used, for example, the discount window facility to a very large extent. At some point, uh, First Republic Bank made up, I think it was 73% uh, of the total lending in this discount window. And now that JP Morgan will pay back parts of this and the FDIC will pay back parts of this loan to the Federal Reserve as of this week, we should expect the Federal Reserve balance sheet to shrink again uh, since this emergency lending is being paid back by the FDIC and uh, indirectly by JP Morgan. Uh, the rest of the loan will be paid back in five years. And that also means that we should expect a decline in uh, the amount of cash assets um, held by regional banks, uh, and it goes hand in hand with this shrinking balance sheet from the Federal Reserve now that emergency lending measures are being brought down. And this ultimately means that fewer dollars will be around in the banking system. Um, you could argue that uh, the reason for this shrinkage is okay or decent, but it is still an outright decline in the amount of dollars available to the financial system, and it is something that we always remain on the watch for since liquidity if is of such relevance to asset allocation and uh, positioning in, in markets. And this happens at the same time as the US Treasury is now closing in on the so-called crossover date. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We've been talking a lot about the U.S. Treasury and how the U.S. Treasury impacts liquidity in commercial bank systems. Uh, and currently, the U.S. Treasury is very close to running out of ammunition. Um, we received the news yesterday that the official projected um, crossover date, the date where the U.S. Treasury can no longer fund the federal government operations, um, will now be moved to 1st of June, maybe even late May. Uh, this is something that, that I've been warning about over the past months, that um, the tax income of the federal government was below par and that the US Treasury was running on fumes already. Uh, this also means that the US Treasury can no longer add liquidity to any major extent from here. 
while as soon as we get a debt ceiling deal, the U.S. Treasury also told us yesterday that they plan on issuing a truckload of debt into markets over the course of July, August, September, meaning that they will issue debt and then hold that liquidity at the Federal Reserve um, and thereby withdrawing dollar liquidity from commercial banks and from private systems. And uh, this is obviously of relevance when it happens on top of an already shrinking Fed balance sheet due to these um, uh, technicalities around the emergency lending measures. Uh, and therefore, the overall picture is now that the U.S. Treasury is likely to start uh, withdrawing liquidity within, say, three, four weeks from now at the latest. Um, the regional banking stress now leads to shrinking liquidity due to the FDIC paying back parts of the emergency lending. And on top of that, we still have the quantitative tightening of $95 billion a month running from the Federal Reserve. Uh, and therefore, the liquidity profile here in uh, the dotted light blue line looks, uh, if not outright abysmal, then at least very, very bad uh, for the next, say, three, four months. Uh, and typically, we have a pretty neat correlation between equity returns and the developments in dollar liquidity, so the amount of dollars available uh, to private markets. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a similar development this time around that equities will start losing momentum because of this withdrawal of uh, dollar liquidity. It will also spill over to crypto uh, if usual correlations hold. Uh, and the interesting thing here is that uh, the latest update we received from um, the Federal Reserve on when to expect the Federal Reserve to accept that liquidity is now adequate relative to the size of the economy uh, is a speech given by Chris Waller, uh, a member of the FOMC, just a few months back. And he hinted that the overall amount of dollars available to the financial system should roughly equal 10% of the gross domestic product on a running basis to be in balance. And um, we're still in between seven and 800 billion from that target, uh, meaning that the Federal Reserve uh, will likely continue to withdraw liquidity uh, for the time being, since their rule of thumb um, is that 10% of GDP is what's needed to uh, have a financial system in balance. Uh, so let's see whether they can get all the way down to such liquidity levels. I kind of doubt it, but the direction of travel, travel is relatively clear. And <clears throat> the interesting thing is that when we look at liquidity globally, we've had a scenario so far this year where we've seen liquidity additions from Asia. We've seen liquidity additions through March and April from the US, while we've seen a pretty... Um, flatlining development in liquidity in Europe. And we now also basically know that liquidity will shrink quite a lot into the end of the second quarter in Europe. The reason is that the so-called targeted long-term operations of the European Central Bank um, will start maturing um, in June, September, December. And the biggest chunk of these TLTROs, as they're called, uh, will mature by the end of June. Uh, and on my estimates, we should expect uh, a withdrawal of right about 600 billion euros by the end of June. Uh, that is roughly equivalent to the liquidity withdrawal that I expect in dollar markets. Uh, so both in euro and dollar markets, we will have a substantial shrinkage of liquidity 
through May, June, and probably July as well. And it comes on top of already very weak signals from various bank lending surveys. Um, one of the reasons why I find liquidity to be of relevance is that it correlates to risk appetite, it correlates to the availability of lending, and it correlates to the demand for credit. So when there's a decline in liquidity, uh, the availability of credit, the availability of a loan uh, also shrinks at the same time, uh, and therefore typically correlates with economic activity after a short time uh, span as well. And if we look at the most recent survey from Europe, um, the ECP, ECB published this quarterly lending survey today. Uh, and as you can see here uh, on the chart, we are now back at crisis levels when it comes to the um, appetite for loans. Um, we are also back at crisis levels when we look at credit standards. So basically, banks have tightened up standards quite a lot over the past quarter. Uh, and next Monday, we get uh, the similar uh, survey out of the US, and I would expect very similar results. A lack of appetite for loans and a lack of appetite uh, from the creditors as well, from the banks of giving out, handing out credit. Uh, and that is something that typically spills over to activity levels. Um, because in our hyper-financialized system, we need credit growth to grow. It is basically as uh, simple as, as that. So when we look at the European markets, and I'll get back to the uh, US markets in a second, uh, I think this shrinkage of liquidity into June uh, risks refueling this so-called fragmentation trade in, in Europe. Um, and what I mean by the fragment tra fragmentation trade is that um, peripheral bond deals, so Italy, Spain, Greece, Portugal, uh, will likely suffer relative to core members of the European Union, such as Germany and France. And um, this is typically also something that spills over to a weaker euro versus the US dollar. I remain highly um, alert for possibilities of entering shorts in euro dollar now, um, meaning that I'm betting on a stronger dollar, uh, which is currently not a consensus view. Uh, and um, it relates to this risk of new fragmentation within the European Union once liquidity shrinks and once activity levels um, decline due to this lack of appetite for credit growth. And if we look at the equity space in, in Europe, um, I also find a pretty neat correlation between uh, the German DAX index, so the uh, German uh, equity index relative to the yearly developments in European liquidity. Uh, and now that we should expect liquidity to dwindle roughly uh, 1 trillion year over year in Europe into June, we should probably also expect the DAX to lose a bit of momentum uh, and the conditions now start to favor a much more defensive allocation in my view. Uh, I've been, if not hyper bullish, then at least very bullish on technology, consumer discretionary, crypto, etc. Uh, through February, March, and April, but I'm now starting to flip my book in a defensive direction as a consequence of these uh, liquidity signals. But there, there are a few places on Earth with relatively decent liquidity trends still, uh, one of them being Japan. Um, and uh, a lot of people expected fireworks from uh, the Bank of Japan when uh, they held their meeting um, uh, late last week, and we didn't really get that. Uh, the can was kicked down the road uh, on their decision 
uh, to support the uh, yield curve in Japan. Uh, and they launched a one-year review of the monetary policy setup, uh, which was initially taken as a sign that Bank of Japan would move nowhere and that they would continue to print Japanese yen for the next year. And I think that is a re relatively fair assumption. And should they move the needle on their yield curve control, uh, so allowing the 10-year uh, bond yield to move higher in the Japanese uh, bond curve, then you should probably also expect them to um, support the new level, the new cap for the 10-year bond yield with a new um, bond purchase program to ensure that the market understands that this is a new cap. Uh, so even in such a scenario, I actually think that the Bank of Japan will continue to print new uh, Japanese yen. Uh, and we have decently similar setup in China where the um, People's Bank of China, the Chinese central bank, is also adding liquidity at least um, on a quarterly basis. Uh, the momentum has faded uh, quite substantially in April, but we still see liquidity additions and not liquidity withdrawals. So liquidity trends are much more benign in Asia than they are in the West. Uh, and that is something to uh, remain on the watch for when you allocate um, your portfolio. If we look at the global trends relative to the S&P 500 as the last chart before I move on to the um, uh, Q&A session, we see kind of a flatlining trend in G6 liquidity. So here I add the liquidity in China, uh, Japan, Europe, uh, the US, UK, etc. Um, and we saw the bottom back in November last year. We've seen a small rebound, and then we've seen a flatlining uh, tendency. But now that we should expect both dollar and euro liquidity to dwindle um, by roughly six, seven hundred billion uh, worth of euros and dollars, um, respectively, then I expect global liquidity on aggregate to also suffer. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, and that is typically bad news for risk assets in the West. Uh, and therefore, I find this liquidity outlook to warrant a... Um, flip towards a more defensive allocation in your portfolio, meaning that in equity space, healthcare, consumer stables, utilities, et cetera, will outperform uh, some of the uh, high-risk uh, sectors such as technology and, and consumer discretionary likely. And now that we have the reporting season mostly behind us, uh, I also think the timing could be right to, to at least move um, parts of your portfolio in a defensive direction, which also means adding to bonds. We can also see how bonds perform again today with all of the turmoil surrounding uh, regional banks. And uh, now uh, PacWest is being sold um, in, in markets and let's see whether PacWest can uh, cope with, with this sell-off on the back of um, the deal being struck between JP Morgan and the FDIC to, um, to buy the remainings of the First Republic Bank. So to, to sum up, before we move to the um, Q&A session, we've moved from a scenario with benign liquidity trends in the US to a scenario where the conditions now favor a higher risk of shrinking liquidity uh, and a higher risk of uh, shrinking growth consequently. Uh, and I also find good reasons to expect that inflation will drop further in such a scenario since inflation is also linked to credit creation and money growth. Uh, so with money growth down, inflation should go down and growth should go down with it. Uh, and therefore, the macro regime indicator tells you to expect liquidity to go down, inflation to go down, and growth to go down through May and June. <laughs> 
And that is, if not in sharp contrast to March and April, then at least a game changer from a portfolio perspective. Let's move on to uh, the questions from uh, the audience. Um, we have a question from, from Sam here. Uh, in this low liquidity environment, what asset allocations would you recommend uh, if converting to cash is not an option? Some investments such as retirement accounts cannot be converted into cash without harsh tax penalties. Um, I think the safest bet here is to look for bonds in the three to five year space um, in the dollar curve. Uh, I also think some of the safer bets would um, be in, in healthcare and consumer stables utility stocks. Uh, and then um, it may also be of relevance to add allocations to Asia since the liquidity trends are much more benign in Asia than, uh, than in the West right now. <clears throat> Um, could Andreas comment on where we are with uh, the Waller rule framework that he proposed a few months ago? Um, I, I guess I briefly touched upon it during the presentation, but uh, the Waller rule suggests that you should have 10% of the gross domestic product um, in liquidity, meaning that given current levels of nominal GDP, we should roughly expect 2.6 trillion to be the equilibrium state for liquidity, and we are currently stuck above 3 trillion. So. Um, there is still a gap of in between seven and 800 billion to cover uh, for the Federal Reserve if they want to get to that 2.6 target. Um, I'm personally not sure they will get there. Um, our, our great founder of Real Vision, Raul Powell, has a whole load of arguments why it's impossible to get there. And I think he will eventually be proven right on that theory. Uh, but short term, they will try to get there. Um, and we basically know the trajectory of liquidity in May, June, and it will not be pretty. Question from Oleg uh, on the debt ceiling. Um, how do I expect it to play out? Well, we, we essentially know now that uh, time is of essence, um, given that the crossover date is late May, maybe first week of June, uh, meaning that we have roughly four weeks left until a partial shutdown is needed uh, to keep the federal government afloat. Um, <clears throat> Currently, I see no whatsoever signals that they're uh, close to a compromise. Uh, and um, given what we've seen um, in Congress over the past couple of months, I don't hold high hopes that they will agree on anything at all until one minute to deadline, um, meaning that we will probably end up in a scenario um, in, in late May, early June, with a lot of uncertainty around um, the whole funding outlook with a lot of uncertainty in equity space. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad uh, scenario for the US dollar uh, since we get some of these safe haven flows back in such a situation. So I expect this to um, go down right to the wire uh, and I expect the deal to be struck probably a few days after deadline. Final question from Paul. Um, uh, could you elaborate on how you differ from Raul and uh, Raul Powell and Michael Howell on liquidity. And I think the reason why I feel so confident that we will have short-term liquidity, uh, short-term liquidity shrinkage here is that we know the maturity dates of the loans given from the European Central Bank to European banks. They will not be replaced unless the European Central Bank finds it opportune to do so. And they're currently not uh, discussing that. And um, on top of, of that, I also think it is crystal clear what happens to dollar liquidity once the debt ceiling uh, is, um, is lifted, uh, because then the US Treasury will rebuild its 
more chest at the Federal Reserve, and that means withdrawing liquidity from private markets. Uh, I agree with Mike Howell and Raul Powell on, say, the six, nine, 12 months outlook for liquidity. This is a tactical view um, covering May, June, uh, because we have these technicalities leading to a shrinking liquidity picture short term. Um, and those technicalities uh, will not be um, covered for by QE, uh, not as far as I can see uh, over the course of the next few months, because we simply need a crisis to unfold before QE can, can um, get back in the limelight. Are we amidst a crisis? Yes, but it's simply not severe enough for the central banks to cave into it yet. Uh, time for a final question. Um, from Gary, can the U.S. Treasury primarily issue bills to replenish the TGA, uh, thereby mitigating the liquidity decline by running down the uh, reverse repo facility? This is a tremendous question from Gary, and I'm actually sad that I did not address this myself. The reverse repo facility um, is a facility that allows mainly money market funds to park dollars uh, in return for T-bills as collateral. Uh, so. If more T-bills are around, then there are no reasons for the um, money market funds to park the dollars at this facility at the Federal Reserve. So Gary is absolutely right. If Janet Yellen decided to issue only T-bills, then we would have a more or less liquidity neutral uh, replenishment of the Treasury general account. It wouldn't be the typical move from the U.S. Treasury. They, they typically try to spread their duration risk across the curve, meaning that they will both issue T-bills two-year, five-year, 10-year, et cetera. Uh, and a conservative institution like the U.S. Treasury will not decide on an opportune basis to only issue bills. I can almost guarantee that. So net-net, we will see a liquidity withdrawal, but um, you're spot on. The more bills, the better. Um, and uh, from the communication we had yesterday, my impression is that they will spread the issuance uh, over the curve and not just uh, leave issuance in the very, very short end of the bills. I think I will leave it there for this week's edition of uh, Steno Signals. Um, if you want answers to your questions, you can also leave a question in the comment section after watching this, and I will uh, make sure to answer as many as possible ahead of the show again next week. Remember that this is just a window into my methodology, into my thinking. I cannot guarantee you that you have the same risk appetite or the same uh, trade horizon as I have. But what I can guarantee you is that I will watch these liquidity trends on a weekly basis. And right now, I'm I'm I feel very certain that liquidity twin trends uh, are turning much less benign for May and June. Thank you very much for watching. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.